We are kicking things off with a word from our sponsor. The new streaming service, Film Movement Plus, opens a world of award-winning entertainment, including some of the best films from around the globe. Among the hundreds of titles waiting for you to discover are some of the best films from 2020, including The Wild Goose Lake, Zombie Child, and more. Available on Roku, Apple TV, and Amazon Fire, as well as streaming online and on mobile, Film Movement Plus is priced at $5.99 a month. But as a listener of Watch with Jen, Film Movement Plus will give you a 30-day free trial plus the next three months at 50% off when you use the promo code WATCHWITHJEN, all one word. Sign up today at filmmovementplus.com. Hey, this is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. Today's guest is an NYU trained freelance television editor and writer, producer, director, a New York City native who now lives in Los Angeles. For nearly 15 years, Steven Santos has edited nonfiction TV shows for a variety of cable channels, including Discovery, Animal Planet, The Travel Channel, Nat Geo, A&E, TLC, History Channel, HGTV, and Oxygen. In 2010, Stephen also began to produce and cut video essays solo, as well as in a creative partnership with film and TV critic Matt Zoller Zeitz, which led to some top-notch work, both online and off, as the two developed a television show about film for Mr. Robot creator Sam Esmail. Returning to his first love of writing and filmmaking, after relocating to Hollywood in 2018, Stephen has written and developed several film and TV projects, including scripting a full season of television by himself while still working as a TV editor. Stephen, it's so great to have you here today. How are you doing and how's spring treated you so far? Um, well, uh, it's great to be here. Um, I'm, you know, as I, as I said, I'm kind of really kind of looking to talk about films a way that it's that gets me excited again and I kind of feel like this podcast like this do that for me as I've you know I've experienced a couple of times on Blake's podcast um and and although you know most people will probably listen to this soon to give context to to where I am at this point and this my life it's I am literally one week away from freedom, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, I've been stuck in my place for 15 months and, um, yeah. and this has been, I'm seeing the end soon <laughs> next week in less than a week. So um, that's where my head is at right now. <laughs> you're counting down the days. Yes, because your social media has been really funny. You've been taking photos like day 100 in <laughs> quarantine, day whatever. And it was like, oh, Stephen, yes, I know. It's tough. So one week and you're fully vaccinated and ready to be out there again. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I got the second shot last week. So I'm in that two week waiting period and yes i'm actually you know hoping i'm probably going to be celebrating by going to a movie by oh cool in the heights at the chinese theater in hollywood so it's, a, it's like going to be a, a me coming out of out of this place after 15 months and then actually returning to a movie theater which i haven't been to since 
March 7th of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the date. <laughs> you even remember the day? I don't remember the day. What was the last movie you saw in the theater? Uh, Shirley Clark's Portrait of Jason, uh, 35 millimeter at the uh, Secret Movie Club at the Vista on a Saturday. Oh, okay. And I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to Secret Movie Club coming back and like I can see movies on Saturday and Sunday. It's always a packed theater. You know, it's like, it's, you know, the first year and a half I've been here in LA really like reinvigorated my movie going again because it was like, I got to, you know, I, I really feel people in this town love movies. Like they really just, you, they stay for the credits, they applaud, they just, you know, they're, they're enthusiastic. And oh, so that's so nice. Great repertory places here. And it's like, there's an enthusiasm here that I was missing for a long time. And, you know, it's yeah. one of the reasons I just, you know, I love being out here now. And so I want to get back to that again. <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's awesome. I know you've been busy writing scripts left and right. Is there anything you're either working on or finished recently that you'd like to give us a sneak preview of? No pressure, of course. Oh, I, do, I, I, um, I didn't, I don't usually talk about the subject matter of stuff, but I did. Oh, yeah. February to April, I wrote two scripts simultaneously, which probably wrote them faster than I've ever done before. Because now I've, <laughs> I've now, once I got back into writing a few years ago, I've, you know, I've gotten to the point now where like I have my instincts have just like gotten better. So I'm oh, good. faster. And um, yeah, those were like really, they were, they're both movies, they're both movies kind of not about the pandemic but very much representing like how i feel at coming to the end of one and then i'm about to start one soon that's basically about about coming about what's on the other side of the pandemic oh wow <laughs> but once again none of these are ever directly about that so it's just it's because oh. of, i just love writing metaphor <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah there'll be great allegories for the time you don't need to get literal like who's gonna want to watch a pandemic movie after this come on we lived through it we don't need it yeah there's not much you can actually say about the thing itself i'm beyond like we were just sitting in our homes largely yes. by ourselves i know <laughs> yeah. how boring is that come on <laughs> yes Oh, well, I am excited. So obviously, I'm not going to badger you about the subject matter, but that's really cool to hear. And I'm glad that you're so productive and writing left and right. That's awesome. Very cool. Well, as Leo Tolstoy wrote in the first sentence of Anna Karenina, happy families are all alike. Every unhappy family is unhappy in its own way. And for our theme today, you found similar inspiration, selecting five very different dysfunctional family film sagas from around the world to explore, including My Family or Mi Familia from 1995, which is set in Mexico and America, Secrets and Lies, which was made a year later in England, Festin or The Celebration, which came out of Denmark in 98, the Royal Tenenbaums from America in 2001, and France's A Christmas Tale in 2008. We'll get deeper into the movies in a minute, but before we begin, I thought I'd ask what it is about this theme, this international focus, and these titles in general that you and audiences worldwide find so compelling, do you think? Um, well, 
I think, and 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 it's also just any artist, any art. This this subject's always going to come up. You're always going to write. Oh it yeah. <laughs> and you know, and and I specifically wanted to choose five movies from five different places to kind of encourage people to be, you know, to understand like there are a lot of things that tie us together, regardless yes. they come from another culture. <laughs> even, yeah. even admittedly, like the <laughs> Mi Familia is a bit of a cheat because I want them to do five different places, but you know, officially Mi Familia and Royal Tonnebaums are both American, but but yeah, uh, <laughs> you can get away with that a little bit. But but you know, as the first the first character who you know comes to America, you know, what's considered America out California in Mi Familia, mm-hmm. um, as he says, and I wanted to write this down. This is the reason I, you know, I kind of count this as Mexico is because yes. when he dies, he makes sure that's on his tombstone. I love when his I, tombstone. Yes. When I was born here, this was Mexico and where my body lies, this is still Mexico. So yeah, sort of consider me familiar, the Mexico, more of a Mexico movie because I agree. Yeah. Eventually, eventually, eventually when years from now, when the borders are redrawn and Mexico gets its land back, <laughs> well, <Yes. laughs> it'll be considered Mexico anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, these, the, and I, I, you know, and it was important for me to, you know, I want this position to be familiar because that's about, like, you know, there aren't many movies made about Latinos and I wanted to have one Latino. Yes. Movie. And this was easily like the best one about a family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, yeah, as I said, I wanted to have like five different countries and just, you know, what ties us together is how, how messed up a lot of our families are and what we're dealing with. And, yes. And the time period these movies came out specifically is kind of when I was dealing with a lot of my own stuff with my family. So a lot of this really shit, you know, a lot of this really kind of, these movies hit in a very particular personal place for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and I, and then, and these are also movies I feel like anybody can see, you know, and I, and, and we'll get to it. Like I, I once, the last time I saw Secrets and Lies in a the theater was like in a, you know, with a very mixed audience with mm-hmm. you know, blacks, Latinos, whites. And it was just, everyone understood what was going on. Everyone. Yeah. Did. And I, I kind of want to have that again. I want to kind of see what, you know, having encourage film goers to have, you know, to be curious about what goes on, what the yes. things tie us together in other countries and especially families of, place to start because we've all been through a lot of this yes i know the funny thing is like if any you know the dysfunctional title you've given us is a little is not it applies to a lot of it a lot of these characters but if anything like the meat the one the cat the sanchez's and me familia are probably the most the most functional yes (laughs) and i don't think i don't ever once i didn't really think the parents did a bad job raising not at all no it was more the children responding to the environment and some of the pressures and the gender issues and cultural issues yeah so it was more like dysfunctional of their own making yes (laughs) (laughs) but and that's the thing it's if anything that was more like 
this is the movie where the more that's more the family I wish I had. And then yeah, the other stuff, <laughs> the darker stuff that we're going to is more the family that I've had to do. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can't, I, I, you know, I don't, you know, this is not new for anyone who knows me. And honestly, like, I can't really discuss the subject. Oh, gosh, no, you're fine. Without, you know, bringing up, you know, my own. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, it was like, you know, and that was funny. It was like me for me. He's like, oh, that's the family I kind of wish I did have. Oh, <laughs> I love that. Yes. <laughs> and then I wound up with, yeah. And then we wound up dealing with others. And it's like, oh, well. I <laughs> so know. I, we all I, have those relatives where like that come from each film. And you're like, oh, man. Yeah. We're more alike <laughs> than we are different. I love the era that you chose movies from, too, because I remember seeing the only one I hadn't seen was A Christmas Tale. So I had seen all the others like back in the 90s. Um, I was a huge Jimmy Smith fan on NYPD Blue. I think everybody who watched that show um, who was a straight woman or a gay man was like totally in love with Jimmy Smith. And so it was like, wait, he's in a movie now? I have to see this right away. So I remember watching Mi Familia and then Secrets and Lies, I think I saw at the theater. Actually, we did have art houses back in Minneapolis, some great ones. So I think I remember seeing that there. Celebration I saw when it was brand new. I was one of those geeks online that had like film boards that they were members of. And one of my like online pen pals or buddies was from Denmark. He's like, this movie is coming and it's amazing. And so I was on the lookout for that right away. And then, of course, Royal Tannenbaums, you know, that was right, like, college age and perfect. So I love this whole era that you chose. Yeah. yeah. I think I've seen, I, I've, I definitely saw the first four in the theater, and I think A Christmas Tale, I caught up with maybe a few months after. On oh, okay. Me Familia is actually, that, I mean, you know, to, to, you know, it was also an era where there were multiple attempts and they were actually really good movies for the most part, but they were, Hollywood tried to make, you know, tried to get Latino movies out there. And yeah, and this movie, like American Me was one of them. And me very me. good film. And they were out for like, when they got released in theaters, they were released for like two weeks and then they just disappeared so when i they i did I, yes it's horrible I, I managed to actually see me familia in a theater and by the time i told everyone else it was like it was all gone oh no i saw it on video but no you're absolutely right i was too young to see like like water for chocolate in a the theater that was a few years earlier but i saw that right away on video and yeah american me there were a few here but i mean not that of course like Water for Chocolate, that's from Mexico. It's not an American film. But as far as Latino characters and representation in cinema, yeah, you're right. There there just wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, and this was really kind of an anomaly. Like, there was just nothing. This movie, there was not. There was hardly anything else like it at the time. And, no. And you just, you know, and I, I basically went to see it because, like, there's, there's no films that represent who I am in any yeah. way and and you know and it's kind of a it's kind of a sad thing because it's like we if those movies had been supported a little bit more we would have gotten more Latino American filmmakers because then yes a few years after that and you I, I saw that you just did an episode on it that's when 
Mexican new wave. Mexican yep. Director and, you know, directors from Spain also. And, you know, other, yeah, other a lot of ours started to get big in the late 80s. But over here, it was 90s. And yeah. And they became the more like bigger Latino voices. And so yeah. and directors who were actually born here. Sure. And, you know, Amelia is very much, it's weird because that's, the, not only was the movie barely in theaters, but the, the odd thing is that out of these five movies, it's the one with the most epic sweep to it. It's the thing yeah. that it should be seen in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, people have probably ever seen this movie in a theater. Um, and probably a lot, and one, of, and one of the main reasons it probably even got made was because Francis Coppola produced it. Um mm-hmm. Which, because you, you also see, you know, especially as, like a lot of the first half hour of this movie is very like, it's very reminiscent of the Godfather movies. Yes, and Winterberg <laughs> was inspired by the Godfather for Celebration. It's like, yep, it's all six degrees of Francis, basically. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't even know that about the Celebration. Not, yeah. I, there's, there's other connections between these. Oh movies, yeah. Right? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you see, there's like and. Just the whole the whole opening of you know them of what was Jose the Patriot coming to America. It's like very very much reminiscent of the Godfather Part Two. And there's mm-hmm. uh, when they jump forward to the fifties, which on the funniest subtitles, nineteen fifty eight or nineteen fifty nine. Yes, that cracks me up. It's like we don't know the year. Yes, <laughs> and that entire marriage sequence is almost like so many shots are almost exactly the same as the wedding sequence at the opening of the Godfather. There's, yeah. there's one, there's one shot where in the middle where Isa Morales and his gang um, goes to talk with the other gang who came to like storm, you know, came to like start shit at the wedding. Yes. And when they come out, there's, it looks almost exactly like Sonny Corleone and his guys come out to, to, to like rough up the photographer it's like almost the same exact shot <laughs> oh that is so funny well we should probably jump in um obviously before we really begin but we yeah. kind of began we should probably <laughs> warn listeners that our discussion of these movies might involve spoilers so please proceed with caution if you haven't seen the films but kicking things off chronologically we have a very warm, as Stephen was saying, big-hearted, multi-generational saga, which spans at least four or five, I'll take a cue from the subtitles, uh, decades, two languages and two countries in the form of director Gregory Nava's My Family or Mi Familia, as I personally remember it in 95, which the filmmaker co-wrote along with his then-wife, Anna Thomas. Produced by American Playhouse and Francis Ford Coppola's own American Zotrope, uh, the film chronicles the story of patriarch Jose Sanchez, who journeys to America from Mexico looking for a better life in Los Angeles. He finds it in his beloved wife, Maria, and the two start a family, but their happily ever after is interrupted when during the Great Depression, she is rounded up and deported to Mexico illegally even though she is an American citizen. Eventually returning to Los Angeles with her youngest in tow, the film then charts their children's lives as they come of age and find love, danger, heartbreak, and new beginnings over the following decades. 
featuring a top-notch cast, including Jennifer Lopez, who plays Maria as a younger woman, as well as Edward James Olmos, who narrates the story, and Jimmy Smits and Issei Morales. It's a fine old-fashioned drama that I remembered loving back in its initial release, but hadn't seen since. It is a film that's very difficult to find since it's not on traditional streaming and I couldn't locate it on DVD. But Stephen very kindly guided me to a YouTube upload of the film from about like seven years ago. I believe that Knock on Wood will still be there uh, when you go look for it. And I hope you find it as well because the film is very worthwhile. But how about you, Steven? So what are your thoughts? We've heard a few, but I'd love to hear more on my family or me familia. Um, well, you know, and as I said, this is, I had, you know, this was, there weren't that many choices and this is also just so happens to be a great film. But it is, yeah. I want, you know, I wanted a Latino family in this, mm-hmm. this subject. And um, yeah. And even though I'm not Mexican, I'm Puerto Rican, it's okay. a lot of the same things kind yeah. of you know, I, I know the you know I know the world enough to kind of be familiar with how brothers and sisters act with each other fathers and you know mm-hmm. and as I said you know this is more you know this is very much more like the warm family that I wanted this is like yeah it, <laughs> it has and it has like like you just and, and the whole movie just has that glow it's like um ed lockman was oh gosh i know i saw that far from heaven cinematographer and just yeah, and it, brilliant and, and he has you know that nostalgic glow <laughs> nostalgic glow throughout the whole thing it's like one it's like a lot of beautiful shots in here and yeah um but but even if you count that as sort of um even if we see this also as it should, it's an American film also. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I now it, there's two American films in this group that represent my two my two homes, which are New York and LA. And I this is the first time revisiting this, and I don't think I've seen this in over I don't think I've seen this movie in over 20 years. Exactly, most, me too. Not, most because it's not really available anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and no repertory ever shows it, even though I know somebody should on 35 millimeter big screen. That's the way to see this. Yes, um, if you're listening, please do it. Yeah, let's uh, get Matt Zoller Zeitz to you know, like call some people. He wants I mean, to start should, a rap theater. Let's go, here. Matt. Yeah, should be here in LA too, especially be here in LA too. Yes, it's, it's our, yeah. our, it's our story here. It is, and um. Yeah, this is actually, and yeah, this, I hadn't seen it in 20 years, and this is maybe the first time, and this is definitely the first time I've seen it since I live here now. Mm-hmm. Uh, some shots actually mean a lot more to me now, because um, as you'll see, there's many shots, you know, they have many shots of the bridges and downtown LA, because that's, East LA is on the other side of <laughs> the LA mm-hmm. River. And while well, the rest of us are on this side, so every, it, the movies constantly looks at LA for the most part from outside the main part, from only from LA. As so when separate. You're, yeah. So when you're seeing it, you see the bridges and you see like the tall building. All the tall buildings are all in downtown LA, which is not far from where the LA River is. So you're you're only constantly seeing LA from the perspective of where most a lot of Latinos live. Yes. There is one, I think one exception 
midway through the film when the patriarch Jose, we see him with his gardening crew. Mm-hmm. And you can see um, when he's working, you can see the Griffith Observatory, which anyone knows, like, yeah. Rebel Without a Cause and stuff. It's in the back. It's in the background in the shot. Yes. <laughs> this is the only This is the only time when these characters cross over the bridge. Yeah, and that it's like a shot that didn't mean anything to me before I moved here. And now that I've seen, now that I know where everything is, mm-hmm. for the most part, it's like, oh, that's why that you know, there's a perspective to the way this movie is shot in terms of how it sees Los Angeles because it. Yeah, crosses over that river, and even when it's there, it's like it gives us a little, like the Griffith Observatory is a little symbol. It's like, oh, now we're on this side of the bridge. On the that bridge. is interesting iconography. I love that. Yeah, one of my friends is Mexican American who grew up in East LA, and she said uh, that this movie meant so much because it was her neighborhood, and she just loved seeing all the places she knew in this film. But yeah, it it you need that sort of local perspective to be able to be like, well, they're outsiders from the rest of the way, the rest of how um, LA and the upper classes, so to speak, um, live in, you know, by Griffith Observatory and all of that. That's really interesting. I love that. And uh, and yeah, there's a you know, it's. <laughs> this yeah i mean it was interesting seeing this movie after so long i hadn't seen it and it's just um and there were certain things that just like i was just reminded again you know like we talked you talked before about jimmy smith and i like in any and and, and i want to bring because he's he only is in the second half of the film but, yeah he's a yeah supporting but, character for sure but, but it's it's a presence one of the, <laughs> Power powerhouse performances that in any other situation this would be like this would be his Academy Award performance because he's that yes movie. Uh, yeah I think he got nominated for Independent Spirit Award but that was like about it yeah yeah um, and it's just you know when I was and uh, that was something I had always thought was like he was really great and that's not, and I hadn't seen him in so long and I was reminded of him. Holy shit! This is a great performer. Yeah, he's 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 a damn movie star. Like when he's, he's you know, you first actor. see him walking down the street, you're like, it's like John Travolta in Saturday Night Fever. Basically, you're like, just wow, <laughs> who is this guy? Yes, and I love yeah, and he do, and it's actually something you know, a song that I love too. Los Lobos is um, down by the riverbed, which has that has that yeah. rhythm that like fits perfectly with that character. Mm-hmm. And, and as I said, it's like yeah, it's exactly like Brando, and it's. I'm kind of, you know, it's once again, it's, I'm kind of remained like how much a lot of people did not notice things about this movie or did not even just pay attention to the movie because it was just, because mm-hmm. um, you would think like after Jimmy Smith gives a performance like that, like they would just be putting him in the leads of the movie. You would think, you would hope. Yeah. And, you know, he's, it's taken, you know, he's, I think, well, he appeared in the Star Wars movies, but I don't really Count yeah, no. <laughs> but you know it's only like till now we're like he's going to be in in the heights next coming out next week it's like oh he's in a big movie again. <laughs> and I'm about gonna, time come on yeah and it, was, it was actually after watching this movie i was also coming up with a screenplay idea and i realized wait a minute he can play the father in this because <laughs> i was just yeah. so blown away by this performance in this movie because of just you know 
this 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 actually this movie actually has one of the like the best um like and it does it really fast and not with a whole lot of words but it just the love story that happens yes with his character and the salvadoran refugee that he marries to yeah. save her yeah yes those, reluctantly and marries and then of course yeah he reluctantly marries because he you know he tries because he does it for his sister um, yeah because she's trying to keep her in the country and uh and then and then um and then he does he does everything to avoid her in every way. I know. He's like the sweetest person in the world. And then um Dancing in the street, which I thought that, was such that, a beautiful that, touch. That, yeah, that's, that's when that's, they it's like it's done without any word it's hardly any words and and the, yeah. the way that nonverbal acting I think is it's an underrated skill and you watch it and you, you know everything they're thinking and it's it's beautiful. And after and after that, there's also you know the love scene after. Oh that. yeah, mm-hmm. they tell they tell each other more about you know what yep. happened past and all the weight that they're carrying. And mm-hmm. it, uh, I will admit that there's you know in every single when I rewatched every single one of these movies, you know there was at one point in every single one of these movies where I cried, and that's yes scene. This this movie that was the scene that did it to me. Oh gosh, I know. It's just such a great film. And you brought up um, comparisons to The Godfather. And I think that's, um, see, I'm Italian-American on my mom's side. So we watch The Godfather trilogy every year. I have since I was little. So we see it more as a story of the family. And so watching it, yeah, I was struck by the same thing. The wedding, it's like, of course there's a wedding. And it's like this, you know, Coppola produced it. So they're paying homage here. But I also think there's just a lot of similarity between our cultures um, with Italians and uh, Latin American cultures or Mexican cultures with uh, Catholicism and some of the um, overtones uh, for both bad and good with gender and some issues of old fashioned uh, values and some of those things. And so, yeah, watching it, it's like, boy, yeah, you can see the overlap. I also love the character of the sister, the one that pushes Smiths to marry uh, his wife the refugee that we were just talking about because it reminded me of uh i had a babysitter like in uh, naperville illinois i still remember this her mom had been a nun her father had been a priest and they left their orders got married and had her she was the nicest babysitter in the world of course (laughs) like those were her parents they were like saintly but watching this and you know smith's reaction to hearing his sister has given up her orders and then well he gave up his orders too and you see the parents and uh so it made me laugh because it reminded me of when i was a kid and my mom explaining this to me and i'm like wait a priest what like got married like it was just beyond yeah so there's just so many little things about this movie like you were pointing out you're going to relate to different aspects of all of these and well, so yeah it was great well i mean now that you brought up the godfather not kind of how this movie deals more directly with um just the stupid shit that guys do <laughs> exactly the machismo that's where the dysfunction comes in with this one yes this one has one of the best voiceover lines i've ever seen, i've ever heard yeah so much anger um, and machismo which um which happens in the scene that i described earlier where e somewhere else comes out of the wedding to mm-hmm. you know, 
to kind of face off with the guy from the other gang. And then after they do their threats to each other, yeah. his voiceover comes on and says, they were both so full of macho bullshit. It was incredible. Yes, I know. Yeah, at times, like, the voiceover was a little much, but I loved that line. Yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. It explained, yeah, he was the Sonny, basically, the Santino. Yeah. He was, yeah, he was a Santino, and you kind of see, you know, and a lot of the ca- of Jimmy's character, uh, Jimmy Smith's character, um, is very much about having to shake a lot of that off. Yes, and it's it, it to see a movie do that because it's not it's a it's as I'm sure with Italians it's a problem with Latinos like oh yeah yeah you know, they're expected to act <laughs> a certain way to be a man and it's like I mm-hmm. don't one of those things I just kind of rejected over the years because I just don't think it's like, just doesn't really mean anything to act this way. You know, it's just, no no you're right it so did to the point that my grandma and all of her sisters decided they weren't going to marry an italian man and none of them did because they'd like had enough of their father and his friends and the way that he they would i've heard stories all the things that all the shit they would get into and it's like yeah no we're not gonna uh we're not gonna marry italians so it was kind of funny like the italians being prejudiced against the italians it's it's hilarious it was a problem yeah (laughs) and 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 i think that was very when you go back to like you know the the dance scene and the love Mm -hmm. very much about like this kind of a macho asshole learning how to be a vulnerable person and learning how to like see you know to yeah actually fall in love with this woman and be kind and sensitive as a person and mm-hmm. and then it goes even further because after she dies he kind of falls back into his own ways and then yep he has to kind of relearn all that to be there for his, son. To his son yeah um another scene you know another that moment at the end when he finally kind of gets his son you know he finally re- connects to his son in a way that you know when he tells him he's he's going to stay there for him and yeah it's another teary moment my goodness yes (laughs) yeah that's another teary moment and visually that kind of also reminded me and it's kind of working it's what it's what the corleones couldn't do in the godfather but when the last scene between michael and vita Mm -hmm. and it's very it's like it it somehow represents the opposite of that like one he's passing something on to his son that he shouldn't be passing on to. No, yeah. <laughs> his legacy is that, you know, he did more damage as a father, regardless of how, you know, who, regardless of how people saw him as, you know, the kindly godfather or all that, but he was, you know, he did, he damaged his children. by Yeah, no, he really did. And, and, you know, the ending of Me Familia is about, like, like let's, Toss away all that shit. Let's get rid of it. And let's like, I'm, yeah, I'm gonna be a real man by being there for. Yes, being there for my family, like the like his uh, like Jose was. Yeah, and you know, there's these movies all end a little differently, but this one was, you know, well, (laughs) when I go to the, I mean. Yeah, as I said, three three of these kind of end in kind of a reconciliation, including this one. And two mm-hmm. of, well, one of them was 
actually one of the other ones does kind of end in a sort of reconciliation, but it's a fucked up one. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then the last movie, A Christmas Tale, is just like it's it's it doesn't really change. No. <laughs> but um, you know, and and that's why you know I think I responded to this. I, you know, so much I responded to this one is because it very much was like I. Yes. You hope I wanted this in my life. I wanted this. Yeah. Well, to be there for you know to, and you know the fact mm-hmm. that if, is if, and that I that the one movie here that's has that I understand to serve because it's my it's it's at least close enough to my culture, but it's also I stand outside of it a bit because it's like it's yeah. More, this is what I wanted, but this is not what I had. And gotcha. So, and yeah. I, I found what I had in the other movies. Oh no. Well, we're going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Is there anything else you want to add about me familia before we move on? Um, not that I can think of now, but I'm sure it'll come up when. We, oh, we can yeah, reference them. Yes. <laughs> I've seen a lot of things that connected these movies. Oh, to- of course. Yeah. Jump in and anytime. Well, our next film is another one of three, I should mention, that I had not seen since its release. These moving, draining, and especially in this case, I would go as far as to say miraculously masterful films hit so hard that they've kind of just seared themselves right into my brain. But this one, Stephen, this is particularly exquisite. I'm talking about Mike Lee's 1996 film, Secrets and Lies, which won big at that year's Cannes Film Festival, taking home the award for Best Actress, Brenda Brenda Blethyn, and garnering both the Palme d'Or and the Ecumenical Jury Prize. The film stars Marianne Jean-Baptiste as a black optometrist named Hortense living in London, who shortly after her adopted mother's death, seeks out the identity of her birth mother and finds it in Cynthia Purley, played by Blethyn, a factory worker living with her depressed 20-year-old daughter, Roxanne, Claire Rushbrook. Cynthia's closest relationship is with her doting younger brother, Morris, or we would pronounce Maurice, Timothy Spall, who's taken it upon himself to be the male patriarch in rock in lieu of all of the disappointing men who've walked out of these women's lives, even though his own marriage has hit a rough patch. Although initially shocked when Baptiste Hortense contacts her out of the blue and doubly so when Cynthia discovers that her daughter is black, The two form a close bond secretly away from the rest of the family. Eventually, everything comes to a head in a spectacularly dysfunctional fashion at Roxanne's 21st birthday party, a film that, if you're anything like me, might just make you cry like four or five times. It is a wonderfully humanistic people mover that nabbed five Oscar nominations in 97 as well developed over an intense month-long period of improvisation and character work, where Lee, who begins with a kernel or two of an idea, works with each actor separately before he starts to combine them together, like combustible elements in a chemistry lab. He adds one at a time as they figure out their story together. And it's a phenomenal achievement that I was so happy to visit again. So what is your take on Mike Lee, his process, this cast, and Secrets and Lies? 
<laughs> this one, um, much like you, I hadn't seen this one in over 20 years. Yes. I mean, when I saw the movie, I thought it was back in the 90s. I saw this one in the theater, I think opening weekend. Uh, and it blew me away. I thought it was yeah. just knocked me out in every way. I saw it mm-hmm. a couple of times. And then, yeah, I, it's been a 20-year gap since I've seen this movie. Um, this movie, you know, out of these out of these five films, this probably, I'd say Mike Lee is my favorite filmmaker out of this group. Okay. Uh, and he's, uh, and, I, and, I, and I've said this often, I've said this often, it's like, when somebody asks me, well, you know, when you don't relate to certain, a lot of white filmmakers and what their issues are, even if you like the movies, like you're not really that deeply connected to it deeply connected to it um who you know is there a filmmaker out there a white are there white filmmakers out there who really made movies that was like this is almost completely what you go through in your life as mm-hmm. and and i i point to two people <laughs> cassavetes okay mike lee <laughs> oh wow that lee. is an interesting combo yeah would make a double feature a very interesting one if you put two of their films together. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and, and if anything, mm-hmm. give a historical perspective of this, I probably discovered them roughly around the same time. I think Cassavetes, like in the very early 90s, when they re-released five of his films, I that's when I first saw his stuff. And then 1993, when I saw Naked, that was the first Mike Lee movie. I oh, saw. okay. So, and then I... I think this was my first. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because then I, I think I went back and saw Life is Sweet and High Hopes, and then Secrets and Lies came out about that time. Perfect. Um, and like, I was just like, I to watch that from my perspective, to watch his films, it's like, holy shit, this is like, this is extremely close to what like what my life, my life. Can I be know. Like. Yes. <laughs> and it's you know, it's he. He's also just one of the few filmmakers who actually writes and directs movies about working class characters and doesn't, you know, like, yeah. you know, he's been in that world and he knows how to portray these characters without any level of condescension. Like he just knows how to, you know, he, he has this respect and love and compassion for a lot of these characters, especially, especially this movie, which is just, mm-hmm. he eventually gets everyone's like, everyone's perspective of why they're so fucked up all the time yeah. eventually comes out in this and, and, and you understand, you understand everybody. It's not like there's no villain to any of this. They just, they, they yeah, no shit that they made so many mistakes and, you know, but none of them want, none of them intended to do this with, you know, to hurt anybody else. And it just, no, it, it's, and, yeah, this this and seeing it again, once again, the same the similar gap that you had. It's like I mm-hmm. grew, you know, it was quite an experience to see this again. It was like, and I, I got really emotional during it, particularly the last half hour. Which oh man, was, I am a mess <laughs> when I watch this movie. Jeez, yes, and, I think exactly for the reasons you were pointing out too it would have been so easy and you can see like a lot of american filmmakers 
wanting to do this were to take a shortcut and paint like Timothy Spall's wife's uh, who has severe menstrual cramps and we don't fully understand why their marriage is on the fritz or what's going on. You think, God, this woman just has horrible PMS. Like what, but what is her deal? Why is she always in a bad mood? And then, you know, there's a payoff later where we understand and we feel bad for judging her. Whereas in an American movie, I think it would just be, yeah, that woman is a bitch, man. We're supposed to hate him and root for him to like leave her and probably hook up with the young woman he works with as a photographer or something like that. That's probably what would have happened in America. And in this, no, he's just the patriarch who, you know, loves his coworker platonically and brings her home for family events and cares about his sister and his niece and just wants to be there for everyone. It was Timothy Spall this time that I, I mean, I remember liking him back then, but I was just so overwhelmed as like a mommy's girl, like for the, the mom and the daughter story. But watching it this time, I'm like, holy shit, you know, like Timothy Spall, it just, it's the sleeper performance and no wonder Mike Lee just keeps using him again and again and again. Well, yeah, yeah I remember, cause I remember at the time, you know, and, and deservedly so like, you know, Brenda Blethen and oh yeah they're amazing they, yes. they, they're, they're great and they got most of the accolades but yeah to me a lot of this a lot of this movie as much as this movie belongs to them it belongs to Timothy Spall yes and his cat and he's actually the first billed actor in the movie is he I didn't I guess yeah. I didn't pay attention to the billing oh, okay yeah now you know, I get that <laughs> you know it's and I think you need to really you know he bring he's very much i think the heart of this movie and he is yep his the glue too his, his performance is so good it was the probably why well, i had seen him in i think what was life is sweet he has a small role in that where he plays a completely different character. yes um, it's but, been years but yeah i remember that one <laughs> it just the way he looked was just yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, he's a chameleon and then to ha- and then to like he took out like he you know he's one of the two lead actors of this movie he's so good in it and it just and you see what's like you see something's just eating out of eat like he know he I think he knows out of most of the characters like what the what everyone's problem is and he just and it comes together in his last moment in the movie mm-hmm. when his last moment in that big half hour. Um, that big half hour ending to the movie. Oh God. Yeah. He has that breakdown where he just like all these people I love, like they, they, they hate each other. Yeah. hate each other and they can't, and it it fucking kills them. Yes. And I think what should be more, you know, what should also be noted here is, um, and I, and I noticed this now more than I did when I first saw it is, his job as a photographer, which he, which is portrayed very much like him trying to wrangle people together to get one. Yes, shot. come together. He's a people pleaser, just chronic, and which is probably why I relate to him. Yeah. Yeah, and that's and it's also like what he's doing this with his own family, and he's he, yes, he's he's, he's he, it t- it's taken him like what a couple trying of, to make him smile. Yeah, a couple of decades for them for him to even to get to that moment at the end I well know. he's more he's more you know he's more adept at 
getting strangers to come together to smile in front of a camera than he is trying to get his own family together. And you can see like some of this stuff is just eating at him. Like, mm-hmm. he, like he can't talk about what his wife's problem to his sister. And then he, can't I know, about, you know, he, he can't, he doesn't want to be as judgmental. He loves his sister too much to be as judgmental about her as his wife is. And he's just, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, Oh, it's just such a great performance. And it's such a great Yeah, he's stuck and it's that loyalty thing too. Like, you know, how the joke about like I can call my relatives an asshole, but you can't, you know, like that kind of thing. Like they're my assholes, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and he becomes like he's trying to manage his family and it's like you can see he can't do it until no. that, you know, until all this stuff comes out and um and I Oh, and, I, and now it comes because when when the movie first came out in the '90s, it's more back then. The big deal was so much about like this, you know, a, a white woman having a black child. That yeah, was, which uh, you know is groundbreaking, especially back was, then in England. Yeah, yeah, it was groundbreaking, and it was it, but that was kind of the most dominant part of the conversation. I know, and there's so much more going on. <laughs> Now, now that you kind of see it far removed from like the hot button topic, because it's actually not the way it's portrayed in here. It's almost very um, he because Michael doesn't you know he doesn't he doesn't feel as, as a white filmmaker he doesn't feel as uncomfortable about black characters. As no, they so they don't need to over explain anything he or over explain no. it. He doesn't, and he does subtle things here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And there was a, there was and that was another thing. When I chose these movies, I completely forgot that three of these involves a black character from the outside kind of looking in. Yes. I, I remember obviously the secrets and lies of Royal Tenenbaums. I kind of remember that, but I celebration. One, I totally forgot that in Festin. Yep. Forgot about that. And it's like, oh wow, I didn't realize. That. And, and you <laughs> love that guy. You're like, man, he's like my new favorite character. Yes. <laughs> and there's there's a similar moment when um when Hortense um Marion Jean Baptiste's character when she comes to the big birthday party at the end, um Morris's wife opens the door and thinks <gasps> Yes. You're in the wrong place, and there's You're that's in the echoed and festin. Yes. No, Cynthia invited me. <laughs> yeah. And that's about as that's actually about as, and it's actually extremely accurate about it's a mm-hmm. more common thing about race than most movies about race would do. Yeah. It's 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 just a very subtle moment of how they see her, and then it's like they have to quickly change their yeah when they find out who she really is, and then they have. Well, then when, when they find out, you know, she's a friend of Cynthia and then they have to even change even more later on when they find out that she's her daughter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, yeah. You know, it's, and it ha- that moment also happens in the celebration too when that character arrives. Oh my God, that scene is so uncomfortable and horrible. Oh my goodness, yes. And he's dealing, and she, he's dealing with a more, you know, her, his... yeah or his obviously racist brother is like just unloading on him right as soon as he gets out of the car. It's horrible. (laughs) Yes. What's great about this one too, is it shows her in different settings. Like Marianne Jean Baptiste, there's this great behind the scenes um, 
interview where she's like recalling that's available on the Criterion channel. And she talks about code switching and how there's a scene uh, when she's around white people, she acts maybe slightly differently. And she doesn't need to do that when she's with her friend. There's this great exchange with her and her friend um, earlier on where they're talking about sex and dating. And, um, you know, she can just be herself and she doesn't have to be like a little bit more um, self-aware or nervous around these white people and what they might think. And so um, I know that it was talked about that, you know, that scene was going to have to get cut or like, what good is it for the movie? And both she and Mike Lee were like, no, we need this scene because it is so important. And it's so cool that he was aware of it. I also love how she's an optometrist and Timothy Spall's character is a photographer. So it's like things they see with their eye, they're, they're kind of linked together. The characters are a little bit more similar than you would realize. And so she's kind of also the glue or the people pleaser or trying to get in there like when she's at that party and it's so uncomfortable and it's also just emotional to watch your birth mother you know bestow gifts or love on this girl who's your half sister and you can't tell her that and there's a scene where she excuses herself to go to the bathroom that always makes me cry and uh, like collect herself and yeah it's just quite a performance and there's so many layers and he didn't feel the need to like give any big speeches about um, the fact that she's black, she's black. It's like, yeah. you know, people are black, people are white, people are everything. Deal with it. They're human beings. And, you know, you relate to everyone in this movie and that's why film is so important. It's like Ebert said, an empathy machine. And I love that about Mike Lee. I was lucky enough to see him give like a talk and do a Q&A for Happy Go Lucky. Um, he came to our Scottsdale International Film Festival. Movie. <laughs> what? I did too. I see. I I saw. You saw him for the same movie? How cool. It was probably his tour of that. It was like Phoenix is pretty close to LA. And um, yeah, it was so cool to listen to him talk about this process of discovery and um, his interest in people his people and behavior and psyche just drives him. He will only make movies that kind of explore like exactly what you're saying, the working class. And I love that so much. Well, to, to go back to that, you know, and I, I, I agree. It should never, it, nobody should have ever thought about cutting that scene out of the movie with no. <laughs> a friend. Um, that I think a lot of that, the reason that works and it doesn't feel like a white director is doing it is probably because it comes out of his, process because yes the you know the actors are bringing their own personal Improv. to these characters and i you know instead of a guy saying i'm gonna write this black character he she's just doing that she's just bringing her own yeah. character herself and he's just a smart enough filmmaker to just know to to stand back capture it and just let it happen trust it and let let her voice take over and I think, you know, a lot of people don't talk about his filmmaking and was, and I noticed, you know, especially now, you know, this recent viewing, there's like, there's two great shots and they're great because they don't even move, mm -hmm. <laughs> but they let, you know, they're, they're what, you know, I, I've, I've been critical of how, you know, movies today, you know, they do the long take as some sort of Olympic event. To like, yeah. Like to call attention to itself and yeah. And 
you know, there's two long takes in this movie. One is when um, Hortense and Cynthia sit together in oh, such a great the, scene. And finally, you know, it, it finally dawns on Cynthia that this is really her daughter. And it goes on, I think, for about eight minutes. Yes, I read and that. It, and it does, it does what long takes are supposed to do. And he cheats it a little bit because they they really shouldn't be sitting on the same side as each other, but he has to yeah. have, he needs yeah. to kind of right in the frame because you're basically, you know, they also happen to look a lot like each other. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, and he uses that framing to just kind of see, like, now you're beginning to see how these two are a lot like each other and, and it's beginning to dawn on her and on Cynthia that's like, this is my daughter. And it's it's also all the uncomfortable of those moments, the thinking and the pause. You see every moment, like every every realization build until they actually begin to accept like this is this is what actually happened. And it's like yes. what that's what you're supposed to use the long take for. You're supposed to let you know stand back and let let, the let life happen. Let life happen. And find, and you get truth because you see, you know, just you just remember the way that Brenda Bleffin is like when when she like processing it in her mind, like processing it in her mind. Yes, she realizes, and then she finally re- you see in her eyes, she finally remembers who she slept with. Yeah, resulted in this, and that's. <laughs> That's what, you know, we say the cliche, but that is the magic of movies, right? Yes. Those are the moments you're looking for in movies that just like, wow, just like that. It's not, it's, and that's when I, when I talk about use the long take for what it should really be used for and not, you know, not to like, you know, treat it as a sport in which you're supposed to like, you're, you win if you've gone the longest distance. <laughs> yeah. What's so, oh, go for it. Oh, no, 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 oh, no, no, go, go. I was just going to say what's so fascinating too, you were talking about them sitting side by side and they actually asked uh, Baptiste about it and she was saying, well, they wanted to look at the documents together. I was also thinking for a couple reasons why it works so well is because she's on the outside in case like Blethyn would get up and bolt or something that way, you know, Baptiste is like, no, I'm going to, I'm determined. So I thought like there was a physical presence, like at the end of the bench. So mom can't get up and leave or go like, you're not my daughter. But the other thing I love about it so much is one thing I've noticed over the years is sometimes I have the best conversations, particularly with men in a car when they're driving or I'm driving and the other person is in the passenger seat and you're not like staring at each other's eyes the whole time. You're like looking in the periphery or straight ahead. You're able to reveal more because you're not constantly, you know, thinking or too self-conscious about what you're saying. And so I think more things get confessed when uh, you're not looking at one another like dead in the eye, it's suddenly like way too intense, especially if you want to share something very personal. And so I loved the whole um, representation of that a little bit, even if it was just subconscious, like, hey, we need these women to be on the side because we're shooting it this way. I mean, it's probably that old thing where like, you know, like Kurosawa saying, well, we had to shoot it like that because there was a, you know, Suzuki factory across the street or whatever. Um, But I loved that for the uh, symbolism or the 
that maybe I'm perceiving or that isn't there, but it really rings true. Oh yeah. And you know, and yeah, to go, to go back. Well, to us, it, it actually ties in with another shot that happens later in the film that not many people, because that shot was more talked about even when it always, came out, yeah, because it was just such, you know, a great, it was just a great, you know, to see two great performances mm-hmm. without, done without a cut in it. No, um, but there's a, I think an even greater one at the party at the end of the film um, where the camera is just locked on the table and they're just, and it's the early part of the party where they're just, Hortense just came in there. Yes. And they're just doing the whole serving food. And it's mostly just the, the dialogue is really nothing. It's really like, yeah, like, really like a regular party just getting started. But yeah. but every now and then you start seeing some of the other characters say something about Hortense or ask a question yes. because they're trying to like determine who, who she, she is. is what the relationship is yeah and, and the camera just is locked there and there's you're probably it's every everyone who's at the party i think is in front of the camera like eight it's like eight of them all together and it's yes just, and it goes on for maybe uh, roughly about the same time as the one that the other one that we just talked about and it's just it's 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 one of those it's like it's one again once again like i want to talk about the filmmaking of how why he's a great filmmaker is that he lets that moment play out the awkwardness of parties, which I feel all the time. Yeah. With the awkward pauses and yes. the little and the questions about the person who you don't know as much. And, yeah. You're trying to find little, some common ground and yeah. There's, there's a little uncomfortableness because she is black, but they're not, yeah. not something they're gonna really bring up or you know no. <laughs> around the subject. And yeah. And it's just it's it's such it's such a great piece of like of filmmaking and shows also what a long take is supposed to do, you know, sh- you know, just have all those moments that, fe- and it just feels like you're lived in. It's just very, sus- it's also very suspenseful too. Just in, in it the, is, and yeah, the way interactions in life are, you know, just have, you know, you don't know when somebody's going to say something or some, something's just going to go wrong or, so it's just on the verge of that, but then you know you see everyone just trying to avoid doing that because I they know, the they careful don't know, <laughs> they don't know what's happening, and it's just you know it's it's. I wanted to just bring it because it's just it's very much why that's a wonderful it, observation. Yeah, it's it very much just represents why he's a filmmaker. I guess like, like he he means so much to me. Yes. Um, oh, I think he's marvelous. Yeah. Um, and it's also actually now that now you bring up, <laughs> I didn't realize now because you know Timothy Spall being a photographer in this film actually brings layers to this that I haven't seen before. And now that I've, mm-hmm. you know, there's a whole I, lot of symbolism. I think, I think very much his character is the Mike Lee kind of stand-in too. He um, really is. Yes, because he, you know, I think the one like dominant male presence, <laughs> like trying to put everything together yeah and he's um and but gently obviously gentle is you know when you see him that all those montages of him trying to basically like force these people to get in front of the camera it's, it's make like something a, happen a, a, a likely <laughs> commenting on himself and it seems That's great fitting, yes fitting that three years later his he made a movie about i think topsy turvy's like you know is 
one of the best movies about the creative process ever. Oh made. yeah. And uh, he, I feel like some of it's like some he's he's kind of commenting on filmmaking in some of his movies without really obviously doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just found it funny that he he worked that into this movie as a photographer. You know, he, I mean, obviously a photographer is going to have obvious parallels with a filmmaker. And I and I even find it funnier that years later, his last movie about. Um, Art, he cast Timothy Spall again. Yeah. As um, Turner. Um, mm-hmm, Mr. Turner, and, yeah. And I just find it fun because I, I think he sometimes, he, in, in at least that role and even in Mr. Turner a bit, it's like he kind of sees, he kind of uses Timothy Spall as his own kind of avatar. Yeah, his <laughs> doppelganger. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, that's so good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's he's just such a great filmmaker, and I just never, I never. So another con winner, 1998's Festin, also known as The Celebration, won the festival's jury prize and remains one of Danish cinema's greatest international success stories. The first official Dogma 95 film, which signifies the filmmaking movement, heralding a return to simple storytelling, as created by its co-founders, Lars von Trier and Thomas Vinterberg. The film, directed by Vinterberg and co-written by the director and Danish playwright and screenwriter, Mogens Rukov, sets its action at an upper-class patriarch's 60th birthday party, which the whole family has turned out to attend. Reuniting, after the death of his beloved twin sister to suicide, Christian, played by Ulrich Thompson, steps up to give a toast to mark the occasion and drops a nuclear bomb on the proceedings as he recounts the shocking sexual abuse he and his sister had experienced as young children at the hands of their father. Unsure whether to take him seriously or how to react, as he recounts more stories over the course of the evening, the family becomes divided with more than half trying to save face in front of the guests who they refuse to let leave while they try to save the man's reputation. And then the small contingent of only a handful of people who are on Christian's side. A disturbing but vital film that was first inspired by a radio show DJ who unveiled something similar on the airwaves, which turned out years later after much investigation to be a hoax. Vinterberg forsakes that man's flair for Shakespeare and theatrics in favor of making this Greek tragedy much more immediate and influenced by Coppola's The Godfather. And while it's still a Greek tragedy and strikes a similar chord to Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf or Eugene O'Neill's Long Day's Journey into Night, these characters still feel like people you know or could meet on the street, which makes it heartbreakingly timeless. So what are your thoughts on Festin? <laughs> well, it says a lot about me that I think it's actually the funniest movie of the five. <laughs> it is so darkly funny. Like, it's a farce. It's a satire in places. It's crazy. This movie's all over the place. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Those Danes, right? <laughs> oh, this was, like, so much, very much my sense of humor. Um, it is... It is, I mean, a Christmas tale is fucked up in its own ways, but this one is really the most fucked up of films. Oh my God, yes, yeah. And I think, you know, and I think it's an important thing, you know, you mentioned 
this I think this this is the official first Dogma 95. Yeah. Um, I think it's the one out of those that holds up by far the best. I think, um, you know, I wasn't the greatest fan of that style and I, or I didn't, you know, I thought, and I think even the people who came up with it kind of admit that some of this is kind of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> some of it felt like a stunt after a little bit. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think it's, this is, but, um, it's kind of interesting to now see this movie removed from that time mm-hmm. because a lot of people are probably not, most people are not going to know that this move, this was like the first of many movies that were shot this way from. Yes. <laughs> on a mini yeah. DV cam. Yeah. On mini DV cam. Yeah. But the reason, and but the reason I think the style for that works and hasn't aged for this one, it hasn't aged a bit is because mm-hmm. this movie is like watching the work, like the most fucked up family home movie that you're going to ever be forced to witness in somebody else's, you know, when like you go over to somebody's house. Yeah. It's, it's like a, yeah. It's, 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 you know, and shocking. It's, it's raggedy. It's like, like the cuts are all over the place, which, you know, and the, the camera is like, the camera is constantly in different corners of the room yeah it's so chaotic it's like the end of a scorsese picture when all the shit hits the fan yeah yeah. and it's like it's like it's also like spying on like you're like you're watching yeah but it's like this is the unauthorized version i know so you're like sneaking a peek and then you want to look away and the camera even does it's like it it can't get too close it's too much yeah and and, you know and that's and that's why i kind of you know i think this movie you know, maybe people will be rediscovering it because Vanderbilt just won the Oscar for another round. And yeah, um, you know, and I kind of, if people are going to now see this movie and kind of get taken, you know, it, the 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 DV aesthetic is a little hard to take. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I I specifically wanted to like anyone who's seen this for the first time now, it fits for this movie in particular because it's just it's. If anything, if it had been produced in even a more classical style, it would have been more horrific. Than this. Yeah, <laughs> I know it would have been too too much. It wouldn't have been as funny or as strange or just yeah as batshit. Basically, we should probably mention to people that they can find it right now, or at least if you're listening to this soon enough, on Alamo on demand. Alamo Draft House. That's how I found it. Thanks to Stephen for doing the research and sleuthing it out because I can't remember if this was, I want to say it might have been Miramax or maybe it was Sony Pictures Classics, but whatever it was uh, back then, it's hard to find today. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was actually, I don't know, it's probably like it might have been one of those one of the companies that like became Focus or Samuel Gold. Okay, yeah. There were so many of those little companies. There were so many of those little companies, and there's a few. Yeah, there's a few movies like this that just kind of fell between the cracks. I know. And, you know, and it's and this was like a widely acclaimed movie at the time. Yes. Um, and it's you know it holds up. It holds up very well. Um, it's just it's, yeah. it's just the most uncomfortable movie to watch. It is. <laughs> And yeah. It's just, and I've seen this. You know, I saw this in the theater when I first. Did you? Oh, I saw it on. It probably would have been video, maybe DVD. I can't remember, but yeah. And oh. I, I saw it. I saw it 
first one that came out, I saw it a few years later because it was still showing it, repertory showed mm-hmm. it. And I, I remember seeing that at Lincoln Center in New York this, that the last time. And <laughs> the experience of watching this, especially when, you know, it depends on who, who you're watching who's who ha- who thinks this is funny or not yeah, and what mood you're in like this none of this is really like, no what they're about what what they're talking about is like there's nothing funny about this and see mm-hmm. and you know i think i watched it with a lot of older people and because if i remember it was probably theater on the upper west side of Manhattan where there were a lot of older people who might have not <laughs> <laughs> they might not have uh, known what they were going in for <laughs> when they found. No, yeah. <laughs> um, especially because unless unless you knew what the revelation was beforehand, you're gonna get hit with what. Especially because it's done in such a matter of fact way. Just, I know. Yeah, he the speech he delivers. It's just it's so graphic and detail of like what happened to them. And you're just like, oh my God. I guess it also, some of the tight tightness and the focus, mm-hmm. it's moving around, it's looking, it doesn't know where to look. Like you don't know where to look. You're basically at this party, uh, which takes place at the family run hotel and you desperately want to leave. But as what happens in the movie, they've taken your keys and they're preventing you from leaving the hotel. It's like, you know, you're basically in Clue, but but in Denmark. and you know, it is, it is so strange. And I remember like talking to um, my Danish uh, online pen pal at the time and the late, they're like, this was the biggest thing. We submitted it to the Oscars. It didn't make the, I don't know if it made the short list, but it didn't make the list of the five nominees. And I would have just given anything to be like a fly on the wall when some of the Oscar voters or whoever decides like what gets in, watch this. There's like, what the fuck? Like I, I would have just loved to have been there and heard these conversations of, do we really want to like nominate the Danish pedophile movie? Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) well, they, they probably got hit with it because that was also the, that also came out around the same time as uh, Todd Solon's happiness. (laughs) I know. Yeah. It was like within a year. It was just too much. Yeah. Which actually would, I mean, that would have, if I was, if, if I was doing American, five American films, that would have been one of the movies I'd pick for this. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if I could watch that again. I gotta be honest. Like that one was too much. Yeah. I, I prefer like the handling of Festin, which is funny and it is weird. And there are scenes where like nobody would behave like this. I mean, it's just well, but the, you don't know. Yeah, I love the, there's a cut the, the whole the whole comedy of manners because it's it's it he he you know the singing of the racist <laughs> songs and the cheering well, well, and you're well, like what? Christian, it takes a while for this to come out. It comes. Christian does his first, and this is the funny part: is that his first. His first, uh, his first presentation about roughly 40, 45 minutes into the movie. And then the entire middle of the movie is this ridiculous comedy manage where. Yeah. Like, they, what do they, we do? They, How they, do we act? They, they start, they, everyone, a lot of people try to ignore it. And he just sits there <laughs> while watching them. I know. Well, first he's going to leave. And they're like, they don't give a shit. Yeah, that was a good scene. When he goes down and he thinks he like dropped this bomb and everything's going to change. 
And his buddy down in the kitchen is like, he'll be down in a minute to tell us to like bring the food and they don't care. And it happens. And you're just like dying for Christian. And it's like, buddy, go back out there and throw another Molotov cocktail on your father, basically. <laughs> I, mean, the, I mean, it's hilarious, but the, the entire middle of this movie is is three or four serious attempts by on his part to try to get them to acknowledge yeah. that this his father is a piece of shit. And- I know. <laughs> and the revelation, like, mom knew too. Like, when that kind of comes out, you're like... Well, you walked in and saw us, and we're like, "What the fuck?" Yes. <laughs> oh my god! It is, it, it, it is funny that, and you you brought this up that his early on after the first one, his only allies are the people working in the kitchen. <laughs> we grew up with, yeah, who like, grew up with because yeah. who are at, who who are t- who are looking out for him more like a family than yeah family is you choose your family basically yeah sister Helga's as we discussed before her her black boyfriend yeah who's an awesome guy like my god (laughs) yeah and he's and it's funny he's sitting at the table and he's the only one who believes him takes him seriously right away because it's like why would somebody make that up yeah which (laughs) like women watching this movie it just it's like yep 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 at least in my experience and my friends and some of my relatives experience you tell them something happened certain people in your family or your circle of friends or professionally and they're like no no or oh well that's too bad but you probably misconstrued or they didn't mean it or you know whatever or did you confuse them or were you leading them on or whatever it is and so watching this as a woman you see it a little bit differently and it's kind of like that shocked barked laughter of like you know gallows humor like of course they don't fucking believe him yeah so and and (laughs) well it keeps getting because he he that you know he does this about i was three or four times in that movie because he 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 keeps getting up yeah (laughs) it's like sisyphus (laughs) like rolling up the boulder and like it keeps just coming back down and it just becomes like a really messed up like you keep laughing (laughs) even though like this guy's going through it's like oh oh my god i believe it's the second time where they drag him out and then yes (laughs) they drag him out to the woods and and like beat the shit out of him. Yeah. <laughs> One of them is his own brother who doesn't, you know, because Oh god. I love the ending. The like yeah. <laughs> the 180 with his brother is marvelous. Yeah. Yeah, because his brother his brother is the first one who attacks him. Yeah. Black boyfriend, first of all. And then he's and yeah. Then, and he and he's the first one to attack Christian every yep. time he makes this you know, Mac makes this accusation. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then, you know, the tying up in the woods thing, I, because I had forgotten that that happened. And then, <laughs> yes, the untie. Yeah. How, how much in denial of these people that they have to take a family member and throw them into the woods? Oh my God. Like, yeah. Up and it's like, but you can't, you, you're capable of doing that, but you can't believe that your father is. Mm-hmm. to your sister when she was young and it's like well you know yeah and, and i i you know and i, I think i related to that too i think you you come at it from the perspective of a woman it's like and, but yeah I, but anybody yeah who's anybody when you're trying to like 
say the truth about something and nobody wants to believe you and then eventually yeah or they're so uncomfortable it's like they don't want to deal with it yeah <laughs> and this has happened throughout you know I've, I've just happened throughout my life and it's happened mm. in my family too and yeah not this particular no <laughs> it's just you know a lot of the usual messed up family dynamics for people oh sure you and tell you know and you you tell the truth about something and they don't want to believe you because they mm-hmm. I've been through that so many times in my life and also been through that eventual last moment where like the person they realize, Oh yeah, that he is a scumbag. You were right about that. Yes. And then it's like, Oh yeah. Thank and But thanks for putting me through all that. When I, was I know things I tried to tell you already. Yeah. <laughs> so I, 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 I connected a lot with Christian on that level. And that, mm-hmm. that, you know, Puerto Rican born in New York and like that. And, and you can, I can watch something like the celebrations. Like, yeah, I, I get what he's coming. Yeah. From. Your basic family dynamics. They're the same everywhere. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then he eventually, I, I, I will talk about the moment that broke me in terms, cause it's, it's, it, I was laughing throughout the most of the movie cause it's really, it's yeah. much my sense of humor, but um Pretty much, the, you know, when they get to the near the end, and the sister discovers the suicide note. Oh my God! Yes, reads that at dinner, and that's that's basically when the tide turns, and everyone like realizes what yeah is true. He really, mm-hmm. did, he really did rape her, and he um, and that scene. I don't think that scene ever broke me before. Mm-hmm. It, it only did it now. I was just falling because it was just her last her last thoughts her her last moments before she killed herself and i just yeah i think now having gone through life you know a lot more in my life than i did when i first saw the movie i saw the movie when i was in my 20s <laughs> so, yeah. um yeah i was a teenager yeah really you know like now i fully get the weight of what she was saying and why yes. say it. And the implications and yeah. <laughs> the, yeah. And yeah, that 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 scene and seeing finally other people begin to realize begin to kind of realize that yeah, they were wrong, this we this guy. Yeah. And that probably that that's that's what kind of broke me this time on that. Like I never had probably cried during this movie when I first saw it back in the day. Mm. That that moment hit me really hard, and um, and then on on the other end of things, the very ending of the movie, which is I I which uh, I'm the kind of person who just howled in laughter at that last scene because it's just it's great. Yes, <laughs> everyone is sitting. You know, what's going? It's you know, every, it's like no, you have to. So we can eat our breakfast. Like leave. Yeah. Like, <laughs> brother who's the racist and been the asshole all this time gets up like if he gets it come on (laughs) (laughs) finally sticks up for his other brother and his sister who you know and and he gets up and tells the father we got you know yeah because we need to leave yep and i i cannot (laughs) as i said i laughed so hard at that moment because my god did i really i really wanted to see there's there's no 
I, I kind of cheer every time. I'm like, hell yes. Yeah. There is no more deserving humiliation for a guy who. Yes. In front of every. Yeah. To be shunned in front of your whole family and just. Be yeah. Done. Like, get out. Yeah. Long hair anymore. <gasps> You're done. <laughs> yes. And I just, you know, it's, a, it's, and it's weird that a move that is so psychologically is so damaging and so fucked up can get mm-hmm. to a moment like that where I'm just like I, I I feel like justice has been served and you oh yeah like now you guys can maybe uh, try to be a family of some kind to each other after this I but- know they were a family of strangers I mean the asshole brother wasn't around much um it sounds like when they were growing up he was like overseas taking culinary lessons or something yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think they're all different. It's kind of that moment when you realize that, you know, your siblings are very close to you when you're little, but then you become completely different people, especially if you live in different areas and Christian lives in Paris. And it's like, you have no idea who these people are anymore. Kind of that horrible feeling. And, um, so yeah, there's a lot to this one that hits differently when you're older. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I hadn't actually thought about how they and some of these, you know, this one and Royal Tenenbaums and Christmas Tale, the the family's largely separated from each yep. other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd realize and when you just brought it up, I just realized how much like Yeah, they're all strange. A, a lot of a lot of the part of these a lot of what families are in some ways when you see people, when you see members of the family move away from you, they're trying to get away from each other. <laughs> yeah, or even in uh, Me Familia, where Jimmy Smith didn't want to acknowledge his son right away, or he was away. I mean, he was in prison, but he's like, tell him I'm dead. And um, yeah, so there's an estrangement and reconciliation. And I think all families go through that to some degree, like different relatives are not speaking right now, you hear, or something. And then there's a story there. Yeah, so well, we'll well, we'll get to because a Christmas tale is a Christmas tale does the more daring thing. It's like there's no reconciliation. No, and, and it's at an impasse. But I, I, because I, I see uh, a little, maybe a little hope, but still, yeah, yeah, and I, it's, it is kind of vague, but yeah, it, but the celebration goes to the darkest. Oh yeah, and <laughs> that, that it can actually reach that moment of reconciliation at the end after all that happens yes is you know and it's believable it's very you know i i as i said you know even growing up the way i did i see a movie like this and i see those characters i see a lot of myself in christian sometimes Um, as they say in royal tenenbaums you need to throw a brick in the other guy's windshield basically (laughs) yes we should probably jump onto that but is there anything else you wanted to talk about okay Perfect segue. <laughs> All right, let's go to Royal. So our next film is the first of the five that I'd not only seen more than once before you chose it, but it's one that I own and love as well, as perhaps it's also the most famous of the group, I would say. Like my family, director Wes Anderson's 2001 masterpiece, The Royal Tenenbaums, uses voiceover narration to tell the tale of the Tenenbaum family of New York by way of chapters. As though narrator Alec Baldwin were reading the story aloud in a book. Equal parts inspired by 
Francois Truffaut and J.D. Salinger, especially the Glass family. The film written by Anderson and star Owen Wilson chronicles the so-called family of geniuses by contrasting the great successes that the children of Ethelene and Royal, played by Angelica Houston and Jean Hackman, had in their youth compared to their failures, disappointments, or heartaches of adulthood. Though the early years of the adopted playwright Margot, Gwyneth Paltrow, tennis player Richie, Luke Wilson, and business prodigy Chaz, Ben Stiller, foreshadowed sterling futures, the luck of the family seemed to shift after their parents divorced and Father Royal moved out. When an interesting constellation of events finds the Tannenbaums all living under the same roof again, long-held secrets and resentments come to life to both tragic and comedic effect. A film that's as bittersweet as it is startlingly sour. It features a knockout soundtrack and score by Mark Mothersbaugh. The level of precision and rich visual detail that Anderson packs into his frames in the Royal Tannenbaums is staggering. Every shot is loaded with information. And even though the film is insanely quotable, it's amazing how much even subplots, backstories, or just throwaway character quirks that you can pick up if you watch this one without sound. A towering achievement. While I would still probably say that Bottle Rocket is my personal favorite Wes Anderson movie, and I like his work co-written with Owen Wilson the best, I feel that The Royal Tannenbaums is still the one I consider Anderson's best. I would love to hear your thoughts on the Royal Tannenbaums. Um, well, this is the the New York fan, the New York yes movie um, that I picked. It's the yeah. I, I I also want to put one in here that I'm sure almost everyone has seen. Everyone's like, seen, yeah. Uh, and it is my favorite Wes Anderson movie. He sometimes, you know, he's he's sometimes a filmmaker. I can, you know, I think he's a great filmmaker. Oh yeah. I stand at kind of a distance from his stuff, but this one, this one in particular, this one was very personal to me in ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I often, you know, I grew up, I went to like, you know, I always got like, not, not necessarily genius, but I got like always like the highest grades in school. Yeah. Same. Same. You know, a lot of that stuff. And, you know, and, you know, when it you know went to like the specialized high school and all that. like I, I you know I was I was, I was yeah not yeah clearly genius but like obviously a lot of you know intelligence not to brag but it's <laughs> but it's just you know no it, I related it, too yeah and I skipped a great like I did all those things I skipped yes I, I, I know yeah I, so, like, exactly. I ninth grade I skipped um so then you know so that's kind of where I came at this movie from because mm-hmm. while I was doing while I was achieving all that stuff I was still you know the thing I was still fun I was miserable because of things that were happening at home because oh you know and my issues parents and family and you know a lot of, uh, a lot of that was and I I I think that was always why I took to this movie um because it could seem like this is not, you know, this is not something that I would relate to, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, 
it almost t- it takes place in another part of New York that I'm not really a part of. <laughs> Nobody's a part of it though. It's also from the planet Wes Anderson. So <laughs> yes, <laughs> this, this, that building's like actually in in Harlem. Harlem. Yeah, um, and it's I believe it's actually up for rent now. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> um, and but yeah, when I uh, this movie really moved me and personally when I saw it and I was surprised at it I have and this is actually a rare thing I actually read the script for this maybe like a year before the movie came out okay and it's actually kind of interesting um a Wes Anderson script does not feel in any way like like it's the same words that wind up in the movie but when you he doesn't really hint at the visual aspect he has interesting like the coen brothers in their scripts you can see are very specific yeah specific about shots and you can see the movie on the page but he withholds that it's literally just you know description of action and words and the dialogue and that's and that's it and Mm -hmm. um so it was such a you know when i read this guy said this is interesting but i wasn't like bowled over by it and then when i saw the movie and saw what he did with it <laughs> and um that's also and and visually is also why us you know it also i i didn't i because i also didn't emotionally connect to the move to to it as a script either i thought it was like this is interesting but i'm not it was colder it was colder, even, yeah colder and i you know and while you know that's been the, the accusation against anderson that he's cold i think is you know, it, it depends. I've had problems with some of his movies, but I think in some, he is capable. Oh, yeah. Providing, you know, just conjuring up emotions in his movies when he wants to. And especially he, this one. Yes. Especially <laughs> this one. And I think that's that maybe why this one meant a lot more to me than his other films. Um, yeah. Oh, man. I tear up just thinking of the scene where um, Chaz tells his dad it's been a tough year dad it's I, like oh it kills me i broke up and i broke and i and um, yes last time when i just saw it a few weeks ago especially after what we've been through yeah i know i was a wreck i'm watching this alone i'm like ah, and then oh jesus yeah yeah it was especially the Chaz character all of a sudden seemed a little less crazy. Like, you know, I mean, he had PTSD. He lost his wife. He was very scared about losing his kids because he almost lost the entire, his entire world. But now when you watch it and you think about people, oh, you're paranoid for worrying or, you know, making a plan B about things and you're watching Chaz, you're like, no, Chaz is looking out for his family. And yeah. No, and I relate so much. It's kind of similar. I am not a genius, but I started college when I was 16, and I always kind of felt a little outside from my grade, a little like most of my friends were older. I hung out with my brother and his friends, which are like three to five years older than me. And so I always kind of related more to like Cameron Crowe characters because they're sweeter, more earnest, and they just are people pleasers or they remind me of me. But when I watched this, I kind of, it was like the more cynical side of uh, being smart when you're young and then the expectations or um, how you see yourself as like, how do I fit in with people or how do I even carry on a conversation at some points? <laughs> so it's, 
you know, the awkwardness and he does so much, even like as good as he is with an, an Owen, who I consider to be his best writing partner, um, as good as they are with the dialogue. I mean, there's just scenes where the looks that people are giving each other, like Pagoda uh, and Gene Hackman's Royal, like they don't even have to really talk and you're just dying. Or um, the scene where Owen Wilson's character, Eli Cash, who's one of my favorite characters, is sitting on the couch in his insane house with like the weird Native American kind of like postmodern punk art behind him. And he just says like, huh, what? Like he thinks Luke Wilson's character talked to him. And, you know, we don't need the whole, he's like, oh, I've been doing masculine. And then he doesn't explain it. I think most people writing that scene would have explained it, like where he was coming from more. And it's like, we didn't even need the line, I've been doing mescaline to know, like, this guy is heading towards a brick wall. Like, he's sitting under that painting, too, when he's. <laughs> he is just the painting. Yeah, there's so much information packed in these frames. Which I never, I never knew what he was trying to say is that he, he showed Owen Wilson going to the bathroom and then he puts these pile of porn tapes right in the foreground. Yes. <laughs> like, why is this? It? And he doesn't explain what. No, the... you don't need to know. I mean, it just <laughs> makes up Eli, basically. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting that, you know, um, well, I, we talked. I, we talked before about the long shots in um, mm-hmm. in Secrets and Lies, and and I that the you know the scene you brought up about you know the one that happens at the end where um, Stiller's character Chaz oh, says, "Oh God, here." There's you know, it's kind of a two approach to filmmaking here because that that entire shot is about basically you're kind of he's. Wes Anderson's is capturing like what every single person in the family and their extended, you know, what they're thinking and what they're feeling. Where they are. Yep. And it's, and it builds to that moment with, you know, with Chaz. Um, and you kind of see where, how two different directors approach the long shot. Cause like Wes Anderson would never lock the camera down for that. No, no. We need the sweet. Mike Lee has no interest in doing launch. No, no. (laughs) What's a dolly? Like, you know. (laughs) Yes. Um, And it's such, you know, I, yeah, that, that whole, that whole shot, that whole shot is just like, I, that's the shot. I'm, I'm, at this point, I'm now bawling before we get to the Stiller line. Because it's just, you know, mm, yeah. Through, you kind of just like, oh, now you kind of now. Finally, everyone kind of admitted how they're fucked up, and they kind of finally, yeah, the first moment where everyone's just being honest with themselves about who they, mm-hmm. who they are, what they've been. Um, I, I, just, I, I feel like I always kind of see making the joke that this is really the last Gene Hackman movie <laughs> yeah it's the last it's, it's, <laughs> amazing performance and I, yeah performances given by somebody who might not have really understood the movie he was in <laughs> he said that he said he would apologize to anderson had he known how he was putting the film together because it's just so unusual he said he did give him kind of a hard time and he was maybe pricklier and he said, if I would have known like what it looked like, he would have 
that that was in an interview I read. I don't know, but maybe he was just being nice. But no, it's so much amazing context. I love how it can go from like totally tender to just searingly cutthroat in like a second. Uh, like just some of the ways the family uh, responds to things like early on when uh, Royal tells the kids like he's dying and you get Stiller's hilarious reaction of and he's yawning like how much time do you got and he's like fiddling with a book and and then you have you know like Luke Wilson and Gwyneth Paltrow who are actually concerned and want to know but in the corner there you have the more cynical realist and the truth is probably like halfway between them but I just I love it so much yeah how this movie it knows that the moments where it's going to be syrupy sweet or nostalgic it knows that if it cuts it with some really just dry or shocking humor that it you're going to get there emotionally on your own and it doesn't try to cheat or tell you what to feel or think and I oh yeah that's I, I think he probably because at some points you know like Wes Anderson is not that kind of filmmaker, but no. he kind of, so when he does that, you kind of know, you kind of know he got pushed to a certain level to get to that point, <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to, to kind yeah. of be, to be, to be a little bit more syrupy. And I, and, and you know, I, I, he may, I don't know how much he resisted or, you know, mm-hmm. raises it, but you know, I, I kind of like it more when he tries to, he lets that in a little bit more. And yeah, it, it works. It feels so well. realer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it works so well in this movie. Um, I um, and we should also just mention this because <laughs> as we said, you know, we brought up how you know, I unbeknownst to me, there was many themes going here, including the black character who's an outsider to all this. Yes, Danny Glover is Danny Glover, so good. He's so good in this movie. Aside of Danny, like. Did you just call me Coltrane? Like, just, I love that whole scene. Uh, yeah. I, I, you want to talk some jive? <laughs> like, you got Gene Hackman saying, like, weirdly, like, half racist, half, like, jazz slang from the 50s. And it's just hilarious. I just, I just find it He's funny. Like, his, yeah. his racist remarks are about, like, 40 years past. Out of date. Just completely. Because <laughs> that's the world he's yeah i'll talk some jive yeah the live long day or whatever he says yes and you know (laughs) and yeah glover's really good in this movie Um, yes i I love i love that scene where he's trying to talk to angelica houston and and he's trying to talk about he's trying to tell her how much he loves her and mm-hmm. he falls into the ditch and he has to climb. Yes. <laughs> and it's done so bad, like he just goes in and then the cut to the shot, just climbing back up and he has to come back from that and still convince this woman, like, yeah, that I'm your guy. Yeah. Your guy. And, you know, and it turns out, and it turns out to me he's, he's the character who exposes the, the the bogus stomach cancer that royal oh my god so funny also one of the best shots when he his, he comes when he's getting everyone in the room and you can see him walking up the stairs with the pills and mm-hmm. it's, you know and you feel and you really feel for him in that moment because then he talks about 
that, that was the thing that you know royal didn't figure out it's like this guy's wife also died of the same thing and he's like he's i know <laughs> yes and so it, it's like doubly shitty <laughs> yes. and you know um you know what else is interesting as far as a tie goes outsider black character and then an adopted daughter so kind of that links a little bit with secrets and lies because both of those characters we see them actually standing next to each other and like gene hackman makes a comment like that's not your father and she's like neither are you uh because early in the movie he has this hilariously horrible tendency to introduce his like this is our adopted daughter margot tannenbaum i kind of think it was i mean it's great and it's just hilarious but it's also i think supposed to lessen the i mean it's still icky but like the ickiness of the luke wilson character who's been desperately in love with his adopted sister his whole life and you think she feels the same you find out later and uh yeah so that kind of drove that home but yeah another link between this and secrets well, and lies well uh yeah well now that you brought that up not i the other <laughs> the other thing i didn't see was that incest yeah. now in three i know um, cause yeah, it comes up in the next one too, <laughs> even though that one is done in such a subtle way, but it's suggested in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, officially, Subtly, officially yeah. Royal Tenenbaums is not. Incest. Oh no, 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 exactly. And, you know, and I do, you know, it, it says a lot that the, that I believe that these two are really in love with each other, that. Yes, but they know that they know yeah. where society would draw the line, and they're just like we we have to be secretly in love. Yeah, and you know, it's I, I think it's it nicely sidesteps that probably yeah probably, the that ickiness that you know you know she is you know that they make sure we know that she's adopted. Yes, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I I you know I think it handles that fine, um, and yeah, I. I guess in some ways, like it's to talk about the next movie, A Christmas Tale, um, because I, I, one thing I hadn't even I, I hadn't seen A Christmas Tale since it came out, um, and then when I saw it again, I didn't realize I or maybe I'd forgotten that these two movies are almost extreme. Like I'm fairly certain the Plessian saw Tenenbaums and like he borrowed a lot from that movie. Mm. Some of the characters are almost exactly the same. He changes the sexes of, but there's a there's you know the old Wilson character is like the cousin. Yeah, a little bit. And you know the daughter is also a playwright in that movie. Also, I know. Yes, I watched those two in quick succession. I was like, boy, that's another. Yeah. And um, he he also does. Um, and the go actually also ties into secrets and lies. You know the whole idea of the family portrait, which mm-hmm. Timothy Spalls' clients are, you know, husband and wife or with kids, or and you know, I it, there's you know, Tenenbaums begins with those that opening credit sequence, which almost feel like family portraits of yes, mm-hmm. of family portraits, and then you also see throughout the movie. <laughs> well, also, you know, some of the drawings that um, Richie does of yes, Marco. <laughs> but there's also all the photos that, and yeah, very, you know, it, 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 and family portraits become and 
kind of another running thing I see in these movies. And Christmas Tale also has, at some point, every character in the movie has a section where they address the audience directly to say what they mm-hmm. you know, talk to, and they're and somewhat they're somewhat framed a lot like the Royal Tenenbaums kind of single shots in the opening. Scene. Yeah, so, <laughs> that center of frame Roman Polanski yeah, thing. Yes. Yeah, and it has a you know like I. I kind of just interested in the, you know, you know I, how these movies use that, how you use the family portrait kind of, you know. Yeah, the artificiality, yeah. Um, but also it can be both, yeah, sweet and sour. There's the artificiality of like having to smile um, for no reason except to get your picture taken, but also hopefully these are people you love and would want to document this moment and your your relatives yeah i also adore the way he uses music uh especially in this one um the use of beatles and rolling stones i can't even imagine how much that would have cost uh, you have van morrison again um just you have nico and the velvet underground perfect yeah um it's yeah. it's a little disturbing, I have to say, um, not only because of Owen Wilson's uh, suicide attempts over the years, but also what happened, you know, Elliot Smith uh, took his life. And so that moment in the uh, film, I mean, it was hard to watch initially back when I first saw it, but now it's like, it's eerily meta. And so I feel like that scene hits just even more devastatingly today. I don't know if you, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, a lot of um, like, I don't think Luke Wilson's performance is given enough. He is great, yes. And just that that scene alone is just- Emotionally like, chilling, yes. Shot and the way, you know, that the way that song is used in that. And yes. Jump cuts in it. He's really, yeah. It, you get flashes of okay like he's cut himself and now he's on the ground and then then you have that horrific uh shot of him on the gurney and relatives rushing him into the hospital and so that made me really like watching that and thinking about um owen especially and then the song so yeah it's it's and chilling it's, it's, and it's such a great performance by luke wilson everybody in this movie it's just oh, yeah, everyone is great. I mean, Ben Stiller at this one and a few of his others like Permanent Midnight and Zero Effect just made me start seeing Stiller in a new light. Yeah. And, and you know, she may be a lot kind of considered a joke now, but Gwen Paltrow is actually she's a great actress. Yeah. She's really good in this movie. Yeah. Um, and, um, and well, I want to go back just a a little bit to the the suicide um, yeah and it's, it's it shows how well this movie balances drama and comedy because after after that scene is the one in the hospital where yes <laughs> has, which is just which has one of the funniest moments when he's just asking him about the suicide note and then it's like is it was it dark <laughs> <laughs> or the cigarette like realization that um margot has been a secret smoker her whole life and and just yeah there's some dark humor and uh and to find that kind of find that moment to laugh after even after what you just saw the balance that he strikes and yep. it's, just, it's really 
well handled in this movie. Yes, um, and it's, it's I had I really appreciated how there's a lot of things going on in this movie that was dealt difficult to balance, and I'm kind of I think in most other hands it would not have worked because um, it just the way it veers between all those moments and you know I I don't know what to because I never I still never really. I didn't even think about it this past time about what Owen Wilson eventually did. Mm-hmm. He, tried to, he tried to commit suicide, and I didn't, yeah. I'm not sure I wanted to read as much into that because I don't, you know, I didn't also want to assume that that's where that he was the one that came from either. So, because yeah, I don't, I don't want to go there either. Um, yeah, it was her- horrible when you found out um, what happened with Owen and. Uh, the family history talking about it that was not the first time for Owen and you're just yeah so it's tough but there has been a melancholy and a depression that goes through all of the Wes Anderson movies so we can't just put it on Owen altogether Um, you know even like at the beginning of Bottle Rocket it opens of course he wrote that with Owen in a voluntary mental hospital for exhaustion what can you be exhausted about you've never worked a day in your life like he's in his 20s But then well after that, we have a young female protagonist who uh, is going through something in Moonrise Kingdom. We have other characters who are going through their own emotional issues. And yeah, yeah, he's very honest about that. And the fact that mental health is important and you never know what somebody is going through. Yep. Yeah. Goes through all of these films. Yeah, I just know. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I got a video series of video essays, including this movie about. Oh, about, really? About this movie, you know. Um, that. Cool. Oh, with Matt, probably. Yeah, with Matt, we did a whole series up till Grand Budapest. And, oh, uh, wow. But yeah, we there is you know we did tackle a lot about the constant sense of melancholy throughout his film, mm-hmm. and how much he does deal with depression and mental health in his film yeah and the pathos yep but then cuts it with humor because yeah i mean sometimes it's defensive humor um and sometimes sometimes it's just laughing at the you know ironies and the ridiculousness of life well i I relate to that because i can't you know everything i do and, and you know the way i go through my life is i make jokes about things even no matter how oh yeah I do the same thing I've had chronic pain since I was a kid and stuff and chronic health issues but I'm always making jokes because yeah you don't want I don't know and like anything I write I mean yes anyone sees it's like you know you know I cannot possibly ever do a straight drama because I have to not at all no (laughs) yeah and I write about you know I write about and talk about like some of the darkest shit imaginable but it's the only yeah that is through humor but life is funny even in its bleakest moments you're going to find some humor yep and you know these these especially you know these last three movies celebration town and bounds and christmas are all really funny films and they are mm-hmm. and they're a lot of i think the directors having to deal with family issues through you know through humor because <laughs> yeah the, they can deal with it in art <laughs> yeah I mean, sometimes your family is like going to a dinner party where you know the people, but maybe not as well as you used to. And it's awkward. You might say something wrong or, yeah. Yeah. And so that's what these movies are good at. Are there any other 
things you wanted to point out with Royal Tenenbaums? I or? Think move on. I think we're going to, we're going to, once again, we're probably going to have a hundred. Yes. Oh, perfect. Well. Okay. Well, while most of our movies have centered on the patriarch of the family, our next one is centered on a matriarch and quite a matriarch as, at that as the woman who embodies the female head of the French Bouillard family is portrayed by none other than Catherine Deneuve. In 2008's A Christmas Tale, which was directed by Arnaud Desplechin, we learn that Deneuve's mother has been diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia and will shortly perish unless she has a bone marrow transplant as the entire family begins testing themselves to see if they're a match in a cruel twist of fate that echoes the same experience they had as children trying and failing to save their brother's life we learn that the two men who matched Deneuve are the black sheep of the family. In addition to the woman's depressed teenage grandson who just survived a suicide attempt, the other bone marrow match is her boisterous, rascally son, played by Matthew Amalric, whose schemes in the past led to a court case that almost bankrupted the family. Had his older sister not stepped in to pay off his debt, with the one condition that he be cut out of the family events and for all intents and purposes deemed dead to her. Still forced to see him again after years of anger and estrangement for the good of the family and potentially to save their mother's life. All come together for the Christmas holiday where everyone's dirty laundry and grievances come to light. A strong ensemble dramedy that oddly reminded me of the big chill in its ability to take a left turn from gallows humor to a sudden tryst between two characters when one's crush on another's wife is revealed and humorous asides. It meanders more than I would like overall and makes you very aware of the film's running time. At least that was my experience with it, but it's still quite well done. And I really love the cast and the performances. So what did you think of A Christmas Tale? Well, I'd, I'd say that out of all these films, this is the closest to the dynamic of my family. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> Interesting. You're a Frenchman at heart, Stephen. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a very French film. <laughs> it, was yes. it handles this. Um, I, I think in very much ways, I, I'm, I, I see myself a lot as the Matthew Mora character as and, and war with his own mother. yeah <laughs> and it's a bad it's a battle it, it's a battle in which they both openly admit like i we don't like you i don't like you i don't like like they yeah any bones about like they don't have no they just don't click yep each other and they they're never they're never gonna click and, <laughs> and he, hey that happens you can't choose your family yeah and it's 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 the war that happens throughout this Throughout this film, and it's very much why is it was the clo- it was the closest to my own personal experience, and mm-hmm. why why this movie really hit me on that was the personal my way into this movie. Um, oh, okay, yeah. And the fact that it never resolves itself, which is yeah, it's more it's more honest about that. Yes, <laughs> they're not walking off at the funeral to you know Van Morrison here. It's like no, <laughs> none of that. 
and you know, it really, you know, and and that's the thing. It's like very uh, Henri's Matthew Marrick's character, Henri. Um, he, you kind of at first see him as like the black sheep and the screw up in the family. Then and, you're like, his he's the favorite, right? Of, of like most people watching, I would assume. Oh yeah, and as yeah. I'm, I like I. He's, he's yeah he clearly has his issues There's oh no yeah yeah <laughs> but and you kind of you not only see through him but his newest girlfriend uh manuel davis uh phonia um you kind of see when she sees his family th- through him and she refuses to see him as the black sheep because mm-hmm. looking at the rest of them it's like you're none of you are any better than he no yeah she is completely <laughs> and, <laughs> makes no bones about it and i i very much like i very much understood that character like what you know regardless of you know and as i said he's not he's far from a perfect person in any way but i don't i think i think what the, the number that his mother and his family have kind of done to him mm-hmm. maybe was not fully deserved and maybe they're not they're they kind of they wrongfully kind of pushed him out when they're the things that they are no they're not any better than he is <laughs> no yeah it, yeah it seems <laughs> like he even though it is you know to go back to the running, one of our running themes of incest, something may have happened between him and his sister, which is... Yeah, there is a little bit of a weird overtone, even with, like, the boundaries, there's boundary questions between the characters, like, the mom asks, um, oh, the girlfriend, uh, was it, yeah, like, what is he like in bed? I've always wondered. And it's like, dude, why are you asking? Well, maybe it's French, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and, that, and there's also, I mean, and by extension, and, and it kind of even sometimes suggests, it suggests in that scene at the very end of the movie when um, his sister, no, Elizabeth, and Cassina is the actress, but his sister Elizabeth, her son, who's the other, matching donor and who has met who has severe mental health issues yes um and at the end the only person he connects to is Henri Matthew Marek's character mm-hmm. they go running together it's like and and there's you still there's <laughs> not only does the movie have that light suggestion there's incest that there's also an even other suggestion that he might be the father of that kid really I really I, I wow might have to watch this another time. <laughs> it doesn't. I didn't. Yeah. Put it on it the first time. But okay. Now we begin to wonder if it depends on what if if something happened between them and when how long ago it happened that he might be, you know, he might be his actual son. And on top of that, um, you know that that scene where Elizabeth's husband. Beats the shit out of Henri. Yeah. <laughs> and Henri's girlfriend is there just laughing at him because she just thinks it's hilarious. I know. <laughs> yeah, these people are crazy. <laughs> as, they, as this guy is, like, um, and he beats the shit out of him. And then you're wondering, well, is there something else beneath that that he's. Oh, wow. The shit yeah, I guess I didn't even pick up on that. That's, that's 
curious. I mean, there, I just picked up that there was some creepiness and some boundaries and maybe a little hint of something weird that maybe had happened. That's the other part of the movie is you're not fully sure why she just wanted to cut him out of the family. I mean, he does almost bankrupt. Uh, his dad was going to have to like put his family house on the line. Basically uh, he had done, he opened a theater or bought a theater for his sister's plays. So they were super close at one time. And you're like, was this just a business thing or was it personal? Like where did this rift start? So there, there's a lot you want to know on this one. And the, yeah, the, it doesn't it, really answer it. He, well, he would, he just kind of withholds a lot of important information. He does. Yeah. Cause you really don't even know why the mother is, has, has it out for her son so much. When Yes. Yeah. <laughs> her children better, but like, why does she have it out for him? particular i know it's just sort of left to us to understand to just say well it could be a number of things but you know it's oh was he the no i'm getting a little confused because there are like eight million um was he the one that was born and they were hoping uh would be the bone marrow oh yeah well yeah he was yes so that probably plays into it she he reminds her of the son they lost yeah, which I will say, like that whole sequence uh, when they go to the to see the grave and uh, the baby was Joseph, kind of got to me because my oldest brother, who passed away three days after he was born, was named Joseph, and I was like, oh my god. So yeah, so it was very it hit hard in that place. But yeah, I I don't know exactly why everybody hates each other to this extent in this movie you're just kind of left wondering what the hell yeah just <laughs> i guess yeah well, yeah you're kind of drop yeah the and i mean depression does this a lot in his movies he, he 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 very much he seems to really not like um having having an ending that wraps anything <laughs> and he no. just he, he so almost goes so much in the other direction and he, like he doesn't want resolution reconcil- like with the cousin and the uh, uh his cousin's wife um they sleep together i love how like it's so french the kid goes in there and sees mom naked with another man and the uh her husband sees it and kind of like shrugs like oh whatever (laughs) it just that reminded me of the big chill where these people just like come together and start sleeping with everybody so it's like yeah we were curious about each other way back 20 years ago let's sleep together who knows or uh yeah and sometimes uh, there's a tragedy because in the big chill they all get together because they're friend from college like kills himself but then there's also like the William Hurt character who I think was in Nam or something and was impotent and oh. so there's there's all these overtones and sexual um, fireworks going on in the midst of like a tragedy and comedy and music and so when I was watching that I was like yeah but the the playwright thing also rang a Royal Tenenbaum's bell so you can kind of see some of the movies that might have inspired him well, yeah, we go back to that. Go back to the moment where he just shrugs off the fact that he's that he just yes. <laughs> it's even it's even more French that they don't really talk about it after that. No, or they, what's going to happen with and them? Then they, and then they leave together with their kids as if nothing happened, like it was just yeah. 
what the hell yeah <laughs> it's christmas <laughs> and the cousins is kind of left back at the house and he's still kind of, he's still in love with this woman i know it's just it, it's I desperate it yeah back to where it was and nobody really yeah it, it's it's circles it, back to the beginning essentially <laughs> no it, resolution it, as, as much as it's also very French, it's also, I think it's anything the more it re, it's the more like what family relationships resolve into, which is that there are <laughs> resolutions. No, no it's no, the eternal I, battle, eternal struggle. <laughs> and, and and it just ends. And and I I love I love the way this movie ends, especially that the last moment after uh, Matthew Mark's character, you know, after. He's, donated the bone marrow and he goes to visit Catherine mm-hmm. in her room. <laughs> he does that coin toss, which is very much like just very much the way this movie handles what it brought up all these issues about this family and it just ends it with a coin toss that it doesn't tell you whether there's heads or tails. <laughs> no, it's not important. I think also it circles right to the start of the film with well, he was born in a weird way. Yeah, he for a reason his bone marrow saved somebody. Uh, saved his mom. Yep. Well, this movie's about a literal it's it's not merely She has that line like he's my fetus, I'm taking him back and <laughs> which I, I was like, Catherine enough, what the Yes. Well it's 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 funny that this movie's built around or he was in my womb, I'm taking him back, or something like that. He's <laughs> built around bone marrow, you know, yeah, for bone, for bone marrow and in blood. Uh, and most of her family rejects, reject, rejects her. Yes, <laughs> the only person that who can donate it and who's not, who's his is the one that has nothing to do with her, yeah, and, and who's really. <laughs> and she can't reject him. She no, can't reject him this time, even though it's in her heart to do so. She's really great, Catherine. I mean, she's always great, but she's she's really great in this, and she doesn't. Yeah, there's symbolism it. with that graph versus host that they keep working into the conversation early on. Like, am I going to reject my son physically too? Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and she doesn't in. I'm I'm glad she doesn't make any way to make that character a lot more warm. softer. Yes, she, she really doesn't that character mm-hmm. at the end. And if anything, it's you know the the dynamics of you know the dynamics have changed from the other movies in that this is more centered around why the mother's the problem. Mm-hmm. The yeah, problem and the it's father. the mother for once out of these um, these films. Usually, it's the dad. Or the men who've left, yeah. And the father, I think, is not talked about as much. And he has, I, he has the one scene, him and his daughter Elizabeth, near the end of the movie, which is the scene that made me break, which probably didn't do before. Um, when he brings out, he he starts reading from Nietzsche about, and because he, he sees what's happening with his daughter, that she's just living her life not happy and in fear mm-hmm. and she's you know i think and she was i think there's a part of her that was afraid of death and you know she just didn't yep. want, you know and she just she's been stuck and he find he he actually does it's a, a very 
probably very few warm moments in this movie. No. <laughs> and he he finds a way to tell her something, reach out to her so that she can stop doing this to herself. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing, she's doing a lot of love. She's, she's, oh, I, think, just, I think it's the way she blames her brother. She has reasons to blame her brother probably for other reasons. But subconsciously, but, sure. Blames but, her brother. But for this in particular, what why her life was in a rut, I think she needed to she was doing that to herself. It's a lot of self-created drama, just like the men of Mi Familia with their macho bullshit. Like, you know, they're creating their own dysfunctions and uh, unhappiness. Yes. Well, or in I, Royal Tannenbaums where yeah. the siblings um, are butting heads, especially Chaz and Richie, which is jealousy. And that happens all the time. Yeah. Or even in Secrets and Lies, uh, Cynthia's yep. daughter, who you know, resents her for so many reasons. Yes, that we don't really know. Yeah. It's probably blown out of proportion. And yes. It's probably made even worse by the fact that, you know, the Timothy Spall character acts more as a as parent. As a parent, yeah. She, she looks to him as more of a parent than, than her, her own mother. Yeah. And, you know, it's... It's... <laughs> it is kind of... You've seen, like, a lot of the self-created drama and a lot of the the coming out of just like resentment and some of this is not a lot of these movies these a lot of these movies don't actually say all the things that happened before mm-hmm. they kind of infer some things and they kind of leave things up to your imagination because we've all been through this so you're kind of putting in some of your own experiences and thinking yeah, yeah this is probably they probably went. might be it yeah <laughs> and it's very the way these filmmakers handled this up you know handle dealing with these kinds of families like it's just very i'm just talking about now i'm kind of impressed by how they handle this in a way because it's a hard subject matter to do and you can fall back onto a lot of yeah it's cinematic therapy kind of for them but it's also just universally relatable Mm -hmm. and that's what makes these movies just work so well well, thank you so much, Stephen, for doing this. It was my pleasure to talk to you, and I was honored uh, for you to be here and choose such remarkable movies to discuss. Thanks again. Thank you. This is fun. Yes. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com and filmintuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen. <laughs>